Hi, my name is Allie Mast. If the term mental illness makes you squirm a little bit, you're definitely not alone. But after living with mental illness for over 20 years, I'm proud to help break down those walls of stigma. When I became a mom in 2017, I realized just how desperate the need was to support people, especially moms, in their mental health journey. It's gonna get a little awkward around here, but cultivating change always is. Welcome to The Mentally Ill Mama. Hello, my lovely podcast friends. Welcome to another episode of The Mentally Ill Mama. This is your host, Allie Mast, and today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be in an intensive outpatient program. For the sake of keeping it uh, a little more condensed, I will just refer to it as IOP, but it stands for Intensive Outpatient Program. There are also inpatient programs, which is where you stay in a hospital-like setting and you're there like 24-7 throughout the time you're there. An intensive outpatient program means that you go in for the program and then you go home. So you're not like hospitalized. So just a disclaimer from the start that everything I share is my own experience. I am not an expert in intensive outpatient programs, IOPs. I have only been in one specific program. So this is not like a blanket statement of education. Also, I will not be naming the the place that I went to, but if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on my uh, Instagram at the mentally ill mama, DM me. I'm happy to share the information with people that are interested um, or need resources in the area. I am about an hour south of Cleveland, Ohio, just for reference. So I went to this program actually two different times. The reason I first looked into this program was after talking with my therapist and being open about how suicidal I was during pregnancy. I was less than halfway through my pregnancy, and I honestly didn't think that I could survive five to six more months of it. Suicide is a very heavy topic, and it is going to be freely discussed in this podcast. So please, please, please take care of you and skip this one if it's going to be triggering for you. I got to the point where the pregnancy that I had wanted desperately after my miscarriage was a burden too big to bear. I obviously have several mental illnesses, which I speak often about, but adding in being pregnant and the massive hormonal changes that entails, my mental health was beyond shot. I had been in an inpatient program once before. Like I said, that's when you are hospitalized. And that was because of my postpartum depression I experienced after my oldest daughter. (laughs) And in this most recent pregnancy that I'm that I'm talking about, um, feeling suicidal, I, I really didn't want to go back to an inpatient program. The thought of being totally away from Nick and my daughter and for an unknown amount of time was crushing. I had done it before, but I did not want to do it again if there was any other option. So I spoke with my therapist, and she knew of a program in the town I live in, and she personally knew one of the people who ran it. It was December 2020, so COVID was obviously super bad, and I didn't know what that would look like within a program, 
Was it in person? Would I be able to eat and drink there? Remember, I was pregnant and needed to eat and hydrate constantly to not feel nauseous. I had a Zoom meeting with the head of the program, and we decided the program was a good fit for what I was dealing with. My first day, I actually did virtually. It was very nice to have that option, um, but it was a it gave me a lot of anxiety, and I was struggling a lot, and I actually had to log off for a bit because I had an anxiety attack, and I felt really guilty for not being able to be attentive the whole time. So part of IOP, you have an individual therapist that you meet with once a week. You meet with a psychiatrist once a week, and most of your time is in group sessions. The group sessions are run by three different therapists who all meet with certain clients one-on-one. So my therapist um, was also somebody that led you know, group therapy sessions. My therapist helped me understand what inappropriate guilt was, something I didn't fully believe existed at the time. And helped me see that prioritizing myself was like not like a good idea. It was essential for being okay. The program is on average six weeks. Most people come in three days a week. The program runs Monday through Friday, and you can pick your three days. Um, And each day is from 9 a.m. to noon. People are starting and graduating from the program on any given day. So you not only get to see your own growth, but growth of your peers. You meet people who you would have never guessed struggled with their mental health because some people become pros at hiding it to the outside world. I have been that person. You meet people who on the outside you might think you have very little in common with, and then you learn you actually have really similar struggles. While in the program, uh, my first time, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which was very triggering for my OCD because Part of my OCD presents incredibly similarly to an eating disorder. Being there helped me have support during a very difficult time, and it also gave me the courage and awareness to get help specifically for managing my GD with my history of disordered eating. After your six weeks are done, you can be a part of the aftercare program, which meets once a week for 90 minutes, and I believe that's for 10 weeks. This program was quite literally life-saving. So when things got bad again this year and the thought of going back came up, I struggled with feeling like I had failed. After graduating from the program and aftercare the first time, I gave birth to my little sweet baby Dahlia. Then Nick started a new full-time job where he worked from home. Then we bought our first house. Then we moved. Then my parents decided to move out to Ohio and they bought a home 15 minutes from us. We spent our last family Christmas out at my parents' old house right after Christmas and then caravanned with my parents back to Ohio on December 30th, which is my birthday, and they drove their moving truck to their new home. We said goodbye to my sister, who still lives in the area and is my best friend, and the sadness of her not coming out was palpable. Then my oldest daughter started having some health issues. They were getting worse, and the most worrisome symptom of random but increasing vomiting was making me really anxious. My mom and I took her to an urgent care where they took an x-ray and told us we needed to immediately go to Akron Children's Hospital Emergency Room in Akron. So Nick and I took her up. She was instruct well, we were instructed that we couldn't feed her or give her anything to drink in case they needed to perform a procedure or surgery. Because of COVID, Nick could not come in with us until we were put in a room. Noli kept 
telling me how hungry and thirsty she was, and she couldn't understand why one of the main people who helps meet her needs was saying no. No, you cannot have a sip of water. It was heartbreaking for me. I felt like it it I was it was so hard for me to process emotionally because I so badly as I think most parents do want to meet my child's needs, not just like physical needs like that, but her emotional needs and I want to be a a safe place for her and I felt like the total opposite of a safe person by telling her that she couldn't drink water. Uh, finally, we got in a room and Nick was allowed to come in. It was Friday night and it seemed to be mostly resident doctors working there. And they all seemed to be quite annoyed with us. They kept questioning why we were there. They were rude to Noli when she had a hard time standing still to get her blood pressure. I explained to them that she has sensory issues um, and they were still continued to be rude to her. I was so physically and emotionally exhausted. (laughs) They sent out the x-ray to be read by someone else and finally came back saying there was no blockage, nothing urgent, just follow up with your doctor and maybe go to a GI. I was very defeated. We went home and the next day I completely lost it. I was so overwhelmed and I didn't think that I could handle what was going on and I didn't feel like I could advocate for Noli the way she needed me to. I began punching myself in the head over and over and over. Nick was trying to stop me, but I got a few more in before he could constrain me. I was also eyeing my pill bottles and wondering if I should just take a handful. Would that help me feel better? Would it be better for everyone if maybe I just wasn't here anymore? Thankfully, Nick intervened before I could decide if that's what I wanted to do. I didn't go to the hospital because I was afraid of being admitted. I had symptoms of a concussion, which I had never had before. This was also days after Bob Saga died from what they said was head trauma, and I was so afraid that something bad would happen to me. That day and the next, my head was super foggy, and I had a hard time focusing. Everything felt slower. I knew this couldn't happen again. I emailed my personal therapist from IOP, and that week we started the process of getting me back into the program. I've always struggled with the thought that you can only need so much help so many times. And so I think that thought has made me like limit the amount of help I allow myself to get. I had a meeting with my therapist to uh, check in, see where I'm at, and see if it was you know a good fit for me to come back into the program. And I just was like, she's going to think that I failed. She's going to think, like, she's going to think something is really wrong with me or, like, I don't know. I was very concerned about what she was going to think about me. And she was just going over some, like, logistics stuff with me. And I internalized it that she was, like trying to say that it would be like a waste of my time to come back or a waste of their time or something. And I was really struggling with that. And I I knew rationally that 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 was not what she had said. But it was how I was internalizing it. And I was really proud of myself because I said something and I said, I don't think that you meant or even said this, but this is what I'm hearing. And we were able to kind of clarify why she said what she said. And that 
my interpretation of it was not at all the intended meaning. So that was really great. Everybody there is very welcoming. And overall, I just had an amazing experience there. I felt so like insecure about going back. And as I'm recording this, which is not long after or not too much before the time it'll be released, like I'm in a world of a different place in a good way. And a big part of that was getting my meds in a better place, which I don't think I'm completely done that journey. But that really helped me to realize like, I was putting myself down so much. I felt like a piece of crap. And like, I'm you know, too lazy, like a lot of the stereotypes we've talked about before that people have around people with mental illnesses. And being a stay at home mom that doesn't have a job besides this, I need a lot more help than I think that the average person needs. And it, it makes me feel sometimes like I suck, (laughs) you know. Um, So throughout the program, getting my meds adjusted was huge. Another thing was adjusting my mindset. I do deserve help. (laughs) I deserve to be in a good place mentally. And if that means that I need more help than the average person, that's totally okay. There is not this rule and parameter that my brain thinks there is that you can only need so much help so many times. Um, And so I'm trying to lean into that more. We also kind of unrooted this core belief that I have that I am talked with my normal therapist about. I I do EMDR therapy. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. Uh, If you've never heard of it before, it's incredibly interesting, and I encourage you to look it up. It's kind of hard to explain, but essentially what you're doing is reprocessing a memory. Um, Maybe it's it's a trauma or certain things in your childhood or just a past experience that like is so stuck in like any time that it comes up. Like it's either like a really limiting belief or it's like something that causes you a lot of um, anxiety or whatnot. And the very basic uh, explanation is that these memories do not like fully get stored where they're supposed to get stored because it was some kind of a traumatic experience. And because of that, anytime that it comes up, your brain feels like it's literally reliving it instead of just thinking about something that's happened before. And so there is something that has to do with your eyes going back and forth, back and forth really quickly that can help reprocess the memory and get it to where it needs to be so that when that memory comes up, it doesn't feel like you're reliving it. That's probably not the best explanation. And do do your own research and understanding. Reach out to a ther- therapist that's certified in it. But it, it is it is a, a truly amazing. And I've had a lot of uh, a lot of success previously doing it. Um, it helped me a lot in processing my trauma from my miscarriage as well as processing the trauma from when I was hospitalized with postpartum depression. So anyway, this core belief I have is that I don't deserve to make my life easier because that is a form of cheating, which is wrong. And identifying this with my therapist at IOP, it it was like, you know, when you have 
somebody finally puts into words something that's kind of you've had like in pieces in your head or it's been in the back of your mind and but you never like fully clearly concisely put everything together like it was it was like that and it was very very helpful and in talking with my like normal therapist about it you know we were identifying why do I feel that way why like where does that belief stem from and a lot of it has to do like I I have scrupulosity which is religious or moral based OCD and I was raised in a very like fundamentalist church environment which definitely contributed to that Um, but there were also just things outside of that that contributed to this belief that like making life easier for yourself is cheating and therefore wrong or sinful I think I've shared before that I have a genetic skin disorder. It's called epidermolysis bullosa simplex, or EB for short. To break it down, I blister easily from heat and friction, like quite easily. And the blisters can take a while to heal and they can be pretty painful. And so I was never able to do like sports, you know, in school. And that was part of why I got into music. I I love singing. Singing is like one of my biggest passions in life. But, you know, I still had to participate in gym class. And I would do my best to communicate with my gym teachers about my condition. But most of them had never heard of it. Like a lot of doctors haven't even heard of it. (laughs) Or if they have, they've never seen somebody with it unless they're a dermatologist. So... I have this memory, I believe I was in elementary school, where in gym class, we were running laps. And we had to, it was either for a set amount of time, or you had to run a set amount of laps around the gym. And we were told that you had to run around the corners of, you know, like the basketball court that's painted down on the, in the gym. And my feet were bothering me that day. And I remember being like, I'm not supposed to cut the corners, but I'm having a really hard time. And so I did. And I started cutting the corners as I was running the laps to make it less steps. Because literally every single step was painful. And my gym teacher caught me and called me out like in front of the whole class for cutting corners. And it's such a literal... It's such a literal interpretation that I have carried with me of that it is wrong to cut corners because I literally got in trouble for cutting corners. And then it was on top of it, this message of it's not okay to cut corners, even when you're like just making things bearable for yourself, because I'm not the I wasn't the average kid. I wasn't being lazy. I was in physical pain. Like I shouldn't have even been doing it, probably. But I didn't know how to advocate for myself at all. My gym teacher didn't understand my condition. And yeah, it was just, um, it was a lot. It's a lot for a kid to, a kid that's so afraid of authority figures and so desperately trying to please everybody, not knowing how to advocate for themselves with a, with a physical issue. It, it was just very hard because um, when my condition is bad, Like, I am, like, physically impaired. Like, I cannot move around like a able-bodied person. And if I really, really, really push myself, I can kind of keep up, but I'm in a lot of pain, which, you know, is not not good for me. And so I've gotten a lot better at accepting my boundaries, but it's still hard because people are so judgmental. And being fat is an extra element of 
if you are like sitting down more or whatever, you kind of get looked at. Like when I was pregnant, I was having, you know, my skin issues, but also really, really bad lower back pain. And like walking around like Walmart was, ooh, was rough. I would get, I would be in a lot of pain. And so there were times where I used the like electric scooter things if I was, if I had to go out by myself or even with Nick, because it was, it was just so painful and you get so many dirty looks. It's, it's baffling. Like, why are we so cruel to people? (laughs) And, you know, nobody ever said anything to me, but I mean, getting glares and stared at and it's, uh, it's a lot. So anyway, I have this core belief uh, feeling like it is like I'm not allowed to make my life easier. And identifying that was really big. And I see how much that affects my day-to-day life and how much I self-sabotage and how much that's rooted in that belief. So basically, I just want to say that IOP was super, super beneficial for me. And if you are struggling with your mental health, but feel like this program is not for you, I would really challenge you on that. There were people of like all different backgrounds. There were people that were my parents' age. There were people that were my grandparents' age. There were people that were 10 years younger than me, like all different ages, all different walks of life, all different struggles. And yet when you walk in, even though it's such a diverse group of people, there is like no judgment. And it was really, really cool because watching people come in on their first day, a lot of times people are scared to be vulnerable and share. And then they see like, wow, these other people are sharing and they're not getting crap for it. And then they start opening up and it's just like this beautiful, safe place. And um, it's meant a lot, a lot, a lot to me. So I am actually going to do a part two of this episode where I'm just going to go through more of the like information and things that we did in group therapy sessions um, to give you a little more insight into the program. If you have any, any, any questions or curiosities or whatever, I am happy to talk individually. Like I said, DM me on Instagram at the mentally ill mama. I want to normalize things like this. There were people there that were like my parents age and hearing them talk about how they wish they had dealt with this stuff when they were younger, but they're so happy they're doing it now. (laughs) Like it just, it was so cool. It was so cool. And so encouraging. Like you often feel alone when you're struggling with mental health stuff, especially if a lot of people in your life don't get it or don't relate. And being in that program, you feel very much not alone and realizing there's a lot of people out there that have similar stuff going on to you. And we get it and we can support each other. And yeah, I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. (sighs) Well, thank you so much, guys, for listening. And be on the lookout for part two of this episode, all about IOP, Intensive Outpatient Program. If you would give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, That is incredibly helpful because it helps other people see the podcast. The more ratings and reviews you have, the more that Apple will recommend it to other people. 
So that's very helpful. Also, please follow over on Instagram at the Mentally Ill Mama. I also have a Patreon where you can be a uh, supporter of the show there. Um, You could give as little or as much as you want. And that just helps support me as I make this show. Obviously, I am not getting paid for this any other way. And so this just helps with um, some of the costs that go into it. And yeah, it's very helpful. So have an amazing week. It is April. It is getting warmer outside if you live in the Midwest like I do. I guess a lot of places are getting warmer. But yeah, seasons are changing. And hopefully there's some good in that for you. Love you guys very much. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. That means so freaking much to me. And hopefully to you too. With every episode, my heart is for you, for your growth, connection, education, and of course, your mental health. If listening brought you joy, comfort, or understanding, I would love it if you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. You are the bomb.com and don't you forget it. From the mentally ill mama to you, we'll see you next week.